Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. It's your host, Mike. Hey, by the time you hear this, I'll be inbound to Miami, Florida. I'm going there this weekend, Easter weekend, to teach a pistol and carving course, as well as work with a law enforcement agency out there. Hey, I'll be in the 511 shop this Friday, Good Friday, the 511 shop that's located in Doral, Florida. That's D-O-R-A-L, Florida, right there in Miami, from 6 to 7.30 p.m., I actually have a survival slash preparedness seminar in that shop. If you can go on uh, philcraftsurvival.com for me, you could sign up. But if it's sold out, to be honest, just show up and you'll get in. If you don't mind standing and and hearing me run my mouth about survival and preparedness and mindset and equipment and training and everything else, um, come on out and uh, say what's going, say what's up. Stop by, get some 511 swag. Uh, big shout out to 511 for hosting that event for us. Hey, this, this podcast is brought to you by TriarchSystems.com. If you're interested in custom pistols, carbines, rifles, everything in between, gun parts, accessories, I've ran their 17 Charlie. I, I use it during training when I teach courses, and it has yet to fail me. They make incredible custom uh, guns that are not just looking good, but also functioning good with durability, reliability, all the things that we look for and a weapon system that's going to be used to defend your life. So make sure you check them out and use Philcraft on checkout to save at checkout. Also, I wanted to say big shout out to the guys and gals at Mighty Oaks Foundation. This podcast, which is with Nick Hayes, was a great podcast. I had the opportunity to catch up with Nick in the studio. Uh, but if it wasn't for uh, the guys and gals at Mighty Oaks uh, under Chad Robichaud, a good friend of ours, doing what they do, which is helping veterans suffering from PTS, we wouldn't have had the opportunity to meet Nick and then get in the studio. Who's Nick Hayes? Nick Hayes is a former Navy SEAL who does a whole bunch of cool things uh, transitioning out of the military. One of those things that he's done is he has a book called Elite High Performance Lessons and Habits from a former Navy SEAL. Uh, proven tools to take your team and yourself to the next level. He does a lot of consulting for professional sports in the industry. And it's an amazing uh, opportunity to catch up with Nick and hear his life lessons, all the things that he went through from his career in the Navy, but also getting out and how he took all that training, all that practice, all that execution, and then translated into the civilian sector and business whether it's corporate business with executives and leadership and management, all the way to working with professional sports. Um, really interesting podcast. Check him out. You can check him out on his website at www.eliteteams.com. Also on his Instagram at Nick Hayes Life. That's Nick H-A-Y-S Life. Also, as per you guys' request, I've been getting a lot of requests about the modular advisor panel that we just dropped recently. Um, that modular visor panel, which is a visor panel that attaches to your visor that allows you to carry your med kit. You can get it loaded or unloaded, that med kit, within arm's reach in your vehicle. It also goes on your back headrest, or you could attach it to your everyday mobility panel. It's back in stock and ready for purchase. Make sure you guys use Mike on checkout, and that's at philcraftsurvival.com or philcraftmobility.com. I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. Uh, let's kick it off. Thanks, guys. 
Nick, thanks for joining us today, man. I appreciate you having me on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, bro. It doesn't even feel like a podcast, right? Because this is the first time uh, we're, we've been in the Mighty Oak studio. Thanks to Ch Chad Robichaud and his team. Thank you, Michael. Um, they gave us the opportunity to come in here. And we took and jumped all over that opportunity because you were in town and we wanted to talk to you and uh, hear your story. So thanks. I appreciate you coming out. Man. Yeah, and I appreciate it, man. It's yeah. But we, we were just talking before the podcast about experiences and you know, special operations guys share common experiences and it just takes a little bit of tender or uh, kindling to, to reignite that, that flame because did that sound weird? <laughs> but I when I said tender uh, and then kindling, you it sounds You got to swipe right on the kindling. That's, you that's you have to, you have to swipe right. <laughs> um, you have a really cool story, man. And you know, you, we were connected through Remy and the bottom line is, you know, you served our country, you were a special operations guy. There's a whole bunch of valuable lessons learned that you learned from your journey. And so I kind of wanted to have that conversation with you today and, you know, talking about where you come from and getting to the position that you are now. And I don't even want to spoil it because there's a whole bunch of cool stuff that Nick's involved in now, which we'll get to. Um, but I kind of want to start off from the beginning because, yeah. you, you know, you, you started out and you spent almost a decade in the SEAL teams. Uh, take us back to the beginning. Like, how how'd you get kicked off in uh, in life? Yeah, I, it's funny. Everybody comes from from different places, and you know what makes you strong, what builds the calluses, what makes you able to to go and do and open your mind up to new things. And everybody has their own story. For me, I think it really starts with the fact that I moved around every couple years growing up, and that'll wreak havoc with the person in some cases. But for me, I feel like it it wasn't necessarily a bad thing. Mm -hmm. My dad was. Uh, like, you're military, Brad, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, my dad was in retail, which is probably even worse because there's yeah. no orders. So he yeah. was just constantly, like, bouncing He's freelancing. Around. Yeah, and, and he was working his way up, and he, he did a fantastic job, but it meant that we were never guaranteed time anywhere. Mm -hmm. And as a young kid, you move in, you make friends, everything's rolling, you get used to where you're at, and then it gets yanked out from underneath you, and, and mm. that'll change things, especially when you're tiny like me. Yeah. You know, I do think that being a little guy, because you can't tell I'm sitting down right now, but... Mm -hmm. You look massive sitting down. Yeah, I'm broad. <laughs> <laughs> but I could also, like, you know, I, I, I fit the, the, the profile to, like, carry the ring to Mount Doom, you know? Like, <laughs> I'm right there. Narnia somewhere? Yeah, something. <laughs> like a mythical creature. But, uh, yeah, it was interesting. When I would break into a new spot, you know, you really kind of got to hold your own. Mm-hmm. And I think that develops defense mechanisms for, for certain people. Some people tend to go into their shell, you know, and avoid contact and stuff. And that's where it becomes a negative thing. Whereas for me, I develop humor a little bit as, mm. a, as a way to, to break in and yeah. diffuse a situation. And that's something I started honing in at a young age. And it's been really effective for me throughout life. Like even mm -hmm. in combat situations and stuff, you know, it can yeah. be extremely effective. Um, and the other thing was athletics. Mm. I got into athletics quick. And that's the easiest way to break in with a lot of really cool people that um, have a lot in common with you. Yeah. You know, so like wrestling was definitely my thing. I played football. I played fullback. Yeah. Um, until everybody else kept growing. I think like my junior year was my last year <laughs> that I played fullback. Um, but that always really helped out. Um, primarily, I grew up in, in Rocky Mountain States growing up until sixth grade. I moved down to Tucson, Arizona, which is still... Mountainous, you know, oh, yeah. Mount Lemon's legit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that place is real. Yeah. And when I got there, I met an amazing group of friends. 
um, there, there was a group of us that we all had a lot in common, mainly wrestlers. And there were these two guys that were phenomenal, kind of a tough home life. So, so my parents took them in and, and we call each other brothers. Um, and we function as brothers to this day. What's, what's interesting is, is our journey. Like all three of us became seals. Really? Yeah. Like successfully that never wow. happened. That's awesome. Yeah, it's crazy, man. And it was it was the older brother's decision at first. Like he uh I was always kind of scared of this guy. Yeah. Cuz it was him then me then the younger brother. They're still after duty, so I'm not going to say their names, but um the first time I saw him wrestle, I was in like 7th grade and I'm watching a high school match and this dude takes a guy over his shoulder and the guy went numb. The mm-hmm. other guy went numb and they ended up having to like break open the gym doors and, and back in this ambulance and oh, wow. carry him out. So from then on, I was just like, wow, don't. This dude's don't, breaking dudes. Don't, yeah. don't mess with him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I always really respected him and stuff growing up. And he was the one who came. We were, I mean, we were young. And he goes, hey, you know what we should do is like, like be SEALs. And this is a time when there were no movies, none of the stuff that you see nowadays. Well, there was one with Charlie Sheen. Or whatever. I seen, that was one of my favorite movies. <laughs> yeah. Charlie Sheen dropping out of the rafters with an MP5. I was like the jump movie. off a bridge into the water. And then from the Jeep? And then, oh, man, that was epic, man. That was so cool. But, uh, yeah, other than that, like, it really wasn't, wasn't well known. I started looking into it, and I think what really impressed me about the whole thing was Hell Week. Yeah. And as an athlete, like, your whole life, you, you, you kind of think self-preservation. Mm-hmm. You know, how do I heal? How do I get back to it? It's all about self-care. And the idea of being able to separate from all of that for one week of your life and say, fuck it, like, yeah. Break me down to skin and bone. Let's see what's left. That was really intriguing to me as, yeah. as a young man. Um, so I started, you know, studying everything that I could about it. We started watching every movie that we could. Even like, so did you guys make a pact right there that you guys were going to do this together? Is that what? I mean, I don't think it was like one of those like moments, oh, you know, okay, like in yeah, the movie yeah. where we're all together, pricking ourselves <laughs> with blood, like we're doing this. Um, it just, you know, groupthink, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we just, it was more like a snowball rolling downhill. Yeah. Um, and we started doing a bunch of stuff like hiking. One time we hiked over Mount Lemon. It was like a 37 mile hike up. Which and is over crazy. Cause the thing is, that's some serious terrain. Yeah, dude. Yeah. And it's funny looking back now. Cause we know so much about gear and, and what to do yeah. and take. Like I you're in back, basketball shorts. And <laughs> oh yeah. I mean like jeans and like cow. No, and I, it was, uh, it was boots. I used to wear cowboy boots, but wore like actual hiking boots and then like a Jan sport backpack <laughs> with uh, gallons of water and canned goods, you yeah, know, just yeah. like as much weight as we could possibly so put awesome. ourselves like idiots yeah. and, uh, went up and over and it was, it was just one of those like rites of passage, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started thinking, wow, we can, we can do a lot more than we think we can do. And for me, that became one of those benchmarks. Mm. So when something would happen that was really tough or there was something in front of me and I was thinking, man, I wonder what it's going to take to get this done. I could always look back at that thing, you know, hiking over this legitimate mountain when I was way too young and say, well, if I did that, you know, I can probably do this. Yeah. And those benchmarks throughout my life is definitely what's kind of carried me to where I I just don't see limitations the same way as other people do, I think. Um, well, you started, it seems like you started to develop like adaptability and I, I've always recognized that myself, even with the military, um, brat thing where kids who move around a lot have to be very good at adapting and shaping yeah. themselves in their environments. Mm-hmm. So it's like you're learning, you know, it's, it's difficult cause you, you come into a place, you lose all your friends and then you reset, but then you get better at it. So it's like us, you know, in special operations where we deploy where we have our tough box in our bag and immediately we hit the ground and we turn that little place into a home. Right. It's like you become real good at developing this resiliency. Yeah. And so as you, I mean, 
a lot, what's crazy is a lot of people who have those stories as young kids, they don't have that story. Because they, they're, they're in the same place, they grow up in the same neighborhood, and so they don't go through these ups and downs, these ebbs and flows and obstacles, and they don't develop that sense of resiliency in their mindset. But for you, it was just natural. And then yeah. when you guys came together as a bond, you basically were in isolation training. You just started you know, repping through the difficult things that you had to do to get to that level and not even really knowing what you were doing. Just getting physically fit and then just building that, which had to be a building block for success uh, as a SEAL, right? Yeah, and it's, it's funny how sometimes you see something as, as this terrible life-changing like life happened to me. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. And it's easy to kind of develop this like victim mentality. What I didn't know even at the time was that I was developing a competitive advantage. Mm. I didn't know enough. Now I look back and I see it, but that's how trails work. You never know where the trail's taking you. Yeah, when yeah. you're hiking up the mountain, you're like, dude, why are we doing another switchback? Why are we going this direction? Yeah. It's only when you get to the top and you look back and you're like, ah, this trail maker knew what he was doing. Oh, yeah, you know, I like that. Yeah, I like that representation of it because you're right. It's the competitive advantage is what separates us from our competition. Yeah. And the guys who, or gals who haven't figured that out, um, usually they find out in hindsight, like looking back on the journey, but um, some people don't even start the journey. Some people don't even hit the trail to even begin the journey and looking up because they're scared or they're intimidated. What, what do you think in your, your life experience and leading up to the point in which you decided to commit to the, to the Navy and to the SIL teams, um, what do you think encouraged you to actually take that leap of faith? Is this something that you had? Did you have enough courage in you to be like, I'm doing this? And was there that level of confidence or was, was there a push that was required? Yeah, there was a push that was required. Um, I, mid high school, I ended up having to move again. And that mm -hmm. was a really tough one. Because From those guys? Yeah, well, uh, one of them came with me. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah. But yeah, it was, it was complete culture shock, especially because I went to a town that was just outside of uh, Memphis. Mm -hmm. So completely different culture. I'd mm -hmm. never lived out east before. Um, the accent was different. Everything was different. Everything, they didn't yeah. have a wrestling team. Yeah. I mean, wow. I mean, that's a crazy story, man. I actually, I wanted a wrestling team so bad. I was on the Mississippi side. Tennessee has wrestling. And I said, okay, we can't have a state, but we can definitely have invitationals and we can start to develop this program. So I started putting together this list of, of a petition. Yeah, yeah. The kids were like, hey, we support As this. a kid, you did this. As a kid, yeah. Wow. Like okay. my junior year, I think. Yeah. Um, could have been, yeah, junior year. Um, like 300 students on this. And uh, I was at football practice. And after practice one day, this guy, I won't say his name. Man, I'd love to see him again. Because this guy... Uh, <laughs> This guy says, uh, calls me up in front of everybody, man. He grabs my petition, like rips it up, and uh, he's telling the whole group. And I'll actually say a word that I don't think we should say, but I, I want you to feel what I felt at the yeah. time. He was like, we're not going to have any of this faggot shit here. He said that? He said that. Dude, he said that to a child. Oh, this is a grown adult. A grown adult. One of my coaches uh, said that to me. We'll find you. <laughs> I'm going to find you. We'll find you. No, I've let that go. Shh, that yeah, that's true. You don't have time. <laughs> we don't have time. Bigger and better things. Yeah, maybe. No, but uh, yeah, it was, it was a, a defining moment for me because I actually left the football. That's when I left. I, I made yeah. a joke about the height thing, but that's actually when I said, like, I'm out. And that's, that's the only thing I've, I've ever quit in my life. Yeah. And I allowed that to really affect me and, and get me away from, from athletics. I'll never forget that. Um, so anyway, moving on, end up starting a band, playing guitar, stuff like that, having fun with it. I went down to Ole Miss to yeah. go to college. Um, my bros joined up immediately after high school. Mm -hmm. So they were already there. Towers come down when they're at Bud's. Wow. 
talk about motivation, right? Yeah, yeah. Training. Yeah. Um, and I'm watching that. I'm like, man, I don't feel right about it. I wanted to finish my degree and then move on because I had the ability to do that. Yeah. Um, I think it was like March 03. Mm-hmm. We invaded Iraq, and I was like, you know what? I'm done. So I just dropped out of school, joined up, and uh, I couldn't let them go without me, you know? Yeah. And I do like that my story kind of starts as a college dropout. I think that's kind of cool. I think that's cool. <laughs> well, especially when you look at the the situation that you were in where two of your best buds were going through buds at the time, yeah. and then you knew they were going to be in harm's way. It's like I couldn't sleep at night. I mean, I've been yeah. literally every – I mean, I remember distinctly – you know, being in the military during uh, 9-11, but having anxiety, seeing the war play out on TV, going, why am I not operational? Why am I not? I have to be at the tip of the spear. And that, you know, pushed me to go into special operations because I, I thought I was missing out. And I, yeah. I felt like the burden of guilt I would be left with would be so much more problematic than, you know, anything else that I would ever face. And so to see that your bros are moving forward, that's enough uh, incentive for a lot of us to be able to, you know, step up to the plate and serve. Yeah. So right after 03 happens, you go, uh, I'm, I'm about to enlist. Did you go straight into to the uh, uh, SEAL program? Yeah, I dropped out the next day. I went to the, uh, I went to the recruiter, and he actually talked me in. I'm sure he saw a little guy with freshman 15 walk in, and he's like, yeah. okay, buddy. <laughs> um, and I didn't know, like, the ins and outs of the contracts and how that works. So he talked me into doing, what's it called, doing air crew. So he's like, it's a great job, dude. It's on helicopters, and you can screen for buds and this and that. I'm all excited. I sign up. Navy recruiter, you're number two on the list. <laughs> yeah, coming for you. <laughs> no. hey, sh- so, uh, Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, he, he, like, talked me into this thing. I leave the office. I call my bro. I'm like, hey, can you coming to you, you know. And I he, just signed up as a, yeah. he's like, what? What did you do? <laughs> so, How could you? Oh, man. It was rough, and and I realized I'd been duped. I went back in. I'm like, bro, not gonna happen, you know. And he's like, no, you like, he started. This might have been. I'm sure there was a time because you have to like sign up and, yeah, and yeah. do some stuff that I didn't know wasn't real yet. Yep, yep, yep. But he's playing it off like it is. Like you're obligated. You put yeah. your and it's not right. You he's have to go through that. Like go to jail or something. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. He exactly. was giving you that guilt trip, dude. He was giving me such a bad guilt trip. Oh. And so I'm telling him, hey, I'm not gonna do this. I, I need what I want out of this. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, uh, yeah, this goes on for a little while, but I was, you know, I, I got on the first, you know, trip out of there that I could. So I yeah. think it was like three weeks later I was supposed to be leaving. Oh, wow. Um, so I was like, okay, this guy got me. What can I do? And I immediately started immersing myself into publications and, and how the system actually works. And I did have help. And going through it, I, I learned a couple of tips and tricks. And I was like, all right, well, if I get a tattoo, like, a couple of days before I leave, then they can't technically send me and they'll need to rewrite my orders. Yeah, yeah. So I got my first of many tattoos. Yeah. And, uh. Showed up and I'm like, sorry, bro. And I, I saw it in his face and he's just like, you got me. It <laughs> was that easy? Yeah, no, it actually, he stopped. Because it was doctrinal. It was like you knew it was part of policy. Yeah. So if you got that, they're going to have to stop everything. Yep. Dang. So then I had him start talking to my bros so that they could craft a contract that was right for me. So right. he's talking to active duty dudes right. that are already graduated SEALs. These guys are. Uh, yeah. Or maybe they were in SQT at the time. Yeah, but still, close. he's respecting or the past. fact that he's like, okay, we got some professionalism right. here. Okay, that's awesome. So he probably gave me some credibility in his eyes. As yeah, well. and so like it's his job to be determining what I I'm going to do. Man, I, recruiters. I mean, recruiters. I got a good buddy in Prescott, uh, Matt Vincent. He's a recruiter, but I have similar 
angst with recruiters because I, I've been duped before as well. I hate it. Everybody has their own incentives and agendas, Chuck. Yeah. But you can't let somebody come between you and where you need to be. And exactly. That's, that's exactly. what I learned there is like if, if, if there's a roadblock, man, you can go through it, around it, over it, whatever yep. it is. You can't let it stop you. Yeah. So I had to become an expert in something. Yeah. And then well, you get a tattoo because of it. Yeah. What tattoo is it? Is it's it a, a cross cool tattoo? on my back. Okay, there cool. you go. That's a pretty yeah. cool cross. Yeah. So... You got that, and then they reset your contract. They're like, we need to start from scratch. You're glad I didn't say, like, Kermit the Frog, right? I was thinking a heart <laughs> with, like, uh, like a like etched out uh, broken thing through it, like heartbreak. <laughs> that would have been cool. George has that on his lower back. I, we don't talk about that in public, but oh, with flames, and it's just heart. I bet George rocks that, though. He, he does. He does. Every weekend. <laughs> so, you get, so you get this tat, and then they're... Immediately, like, we got to pull everything, and then you're working through the, pro the yeah. process. How long does that take? Yeah, delayed entry program at that point because yep. it takes longer. So I had to wait, like, six months or something like that. But my bros went over to the East Coast. They're serving at their teams as mm. new guys. And I had already dropped out of school. That was done. Yeah, yeah. I tried to, like, get – I'm like, hey, can you take me back? But that wasn't nice. going to happen. So I cruised out to Virginia and lived with them. So for six months before I personal went to Buds, I'm living with guys who had just – Yeah, it yeah. sounds like personal training. There, there was whiskey. But uh, <laughs> it was whiskey. That's awesome. So you, you, you actually took the leap of faith. I mean, you're living yeah. with these guys knowing if you get that isolated type training, they're going to set you up for success. Right. Awesome. How long, how long did that last before you actually signed the contract? I had signed the contract. Um, oh, so you're, de you're delayed entry. Yeah, yeah delayed entry. Yep. And then I, I cruised out with them. So I'm getting ready, doing everything that I can. Had a great time. I mean, by the time I showed up to Buds, man, I, I, I knew a lot about Buds, you know? Awesome. Like, there wasn't a whole lot of secrets. There was one that was about to rock me, but, uh, you know, for the most part, I was adequately prepared. That was a great service. Um, and people have that nowadays, too. You watch, like, the, the 234 videos on Discovery Channel or something. You're going to see the duration. The so G2. I, you're going to get the intel, yeah. Yeah. So I pretty much had the benefit of something like that. Yeah. Which, you know, as a benefactor... Um, to success, it's like a rehearsal, right? When you when yeah. you learn, because I remember, I always remember in the Q course or selection or whatever it was, Ranger School, where when you're getting bits and pieces of information that you could actually process, it's almost like you're creating a process in your head of how to get through difficult times. You know, whether that's mitigating stress or fear, you start to develop this process where you go, "Hey, well, what are you guys talking about?" Like, "Oh yeah, there's this hill, and if you..." get to the top of the hill, you're close to the end. Yeah. So then you rehearse that in your brain and, and it almost uh, reduces like the, the likelihood of you failing, right? So you, you get to the point, you're like, oh, there's a hill. And it's like little bits and pieces of information provide this support and this motivation through the process. Right. So when guys show up and they get the G2 because of their own research, because of their own hard work, they definitely have a... Uh, 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 you know, a step above everybody else when it comes to success. When you got there, was was there a, let's talk about your Buds experience, because when you get there, you're like, okay, I got this. I understand how the game works, but not always, right? Not, yeah, it's, it's funny. It like something it that's, well. Yeah, when it's conceptual, yeah. like, it's all well and good. Like, what's that quote? Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Mm -hmm. Like, I got, I got hit by a straight right from Buds, man. You, I'll never forget showing up in the first couple of days. It's like, all right, yeah, no one lied to me. This is exactly what they said it would be. Nice. This is very challenging, you know? And uh, being a little dude in Smurf Crew, you never win any races. There's, it never pays to be a winner. Yeah. You, know? you just yeah. got to keep laughing and smiling. Staying in it. That, well, that's the benefit, though, to being a Smurf is being around a bunch of little dudes. Mm -hmm. Like, they're not used to outperforming their environment. They're mm -hmm. used to, like, claw and tooth and nail, 
making jokes as, as much as possible. And the worse it gets, the funnier the jokes become. Yep. Um, I had read a, a book, uh, Gates of Fire by Stephen Pressfield. Great book, Great yeah. Book. Great book. Before I got there, and I saw a lot of similarities of, you know, just how, how much you can joke around in, in training and how effective that is. And I learned that, man, if you can, like, look at the demon and laugh, it has no power. Yeah. Like, you're good. Was that, was that a tactic that you developed in life leading up to buds that allowed you to get through difficult times? Yeah, I think that's part of the defense mechanism, yeah. like learning to rely on humor and how that can disarm. Mm -hmm. It can disarm a, hu uh, a human, but it can also disarm a situation. It's, it's the effect of something external onto you. Mm. You know, I think it happens internally. When you can turn something into humor, it's really hard to feel discouraged at the same time. Oh, yeah, that's a great right? point. Yeah, You're like controlling your mental state, I think, when you yeah. can make levity. It's to rise to the situation. It lifts you up to the level of of the enemy. You know. Yeah, like it, it, I remember, you know, being in difficult times and always being. And I don't know if it was joking, but we'd always use reverse psychology, and it would be raining, and you know, cold water is going down the crack of your ass because you're just standing in the field, you're just doing something that's a suck fest. But we would joke around like, oh man, it's getting hot in here. It's just like so warm right now, and we would be freezing, and so we'd all laugh about it, or like we'd say we quit tomorrow. Um, but we'd have to be on board and we have to meet up at a certain location, knowing we wouldn't meet up at a certain location, but everybody would laugh about it. But I, I remember distinctly as we went through each phase, the guys who did that and were in that circle were still there. And then the guys who kind of like segregated themselves and kind of isolated themselves when they were feeling bad and they, they fell in love with that victim right. uh, hood, um, they completely... Uh, destabilize really the infrastructure that was holding them up in the first place and then the next day you wouldn't see them they wouldn't show up did you guys see that same kind of thing as as uh, yeah you went through training in buds yeah I, I mean there was one guy in this class that was just an absolute rock star he he had been a pentathlete and, and just crushing it um, not only was he a phenomenal athlete but he was also just the guy you'd pick from the crowd, the quintessential candidate, mm -hmm. um, really humble, open door policy. Anybody could come talk to him, like a true pillar of strength in, mm -hmm. in the class. And uh, I loved this guy, man. Everybody did. I'll never forget on like Monday night of Hell Week, sitting there, locked arms in the surf, doing our thing, sun's going down, you know, the jokes get good. I started hearing some of the murmuring coming down and they're like, hey, old boy's quitting, you know. And I looked up and I see him walking down the line going to ring the bell. What? Yeah, it broke him. It broke him. And so is this, wait, this is, uh, so just for people who don't know about Hell Week, uh, can you explain a little bit about Hell Week and the kind of like the timeline and, and also the, the, uh, the bell and its significance? Cause Check. Yeah, so like anytime, it's a volunteer training, anytime somebody wants to, to, to leave, they ring a bell, which signifies to their class that they're leaving, mm -hmm. right? Um, that bell follows you around everywhere you go, like this demon on your shoulder. Oh. If you're doing a run, it's on the back of the truck. Like, it's always arm's reach, you know? Yeah, yeah. Which I love that they do that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, with Hell Week, it's five and a half days. You're not sleeping. They give you, like, a two-hour nap on Thursday or something to remind you how much you love sleep. But yeah. That was, like, the worst part of it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and you eat a lot. That's some of the difference between, I think, some of our upbringing was they, they fed us really well. Mm -hmm. Um but outside of that, man, it's just, it never stops. So it puts you in the water till you're borderline hypothermia. And they're measuring people with, you know, like rectal thermometers throughout it to get your core temperature to make sure they're not going to, you know, they try really hard not to kill people. It's, mm -hmm. um, it's really well done, the yeah. science behind it. But then they yank you out and then put you under boats and logs and, and warm you up a little bit. So you're constantly either freezing or being rewarmed yeah. through, but it just sucks 
just no a matter giant what you're doing. Suck fest. Yeah, it just sucks different. Yeah. Um, and it just never stops, and it's constant berating and everything. Um, sometimes I ask people, like, when do you think you, you know, most people quit in Hell Week? And a lot of people th say Thursday, Friday, mm -hmm. end of the week, but that's just not the case. You know, first couple days when the, the mountain's in front of you, it's just so daunting. And, yeah. and when you're just sitting there dying, thinking, all right, well, this is just getting started, you know? It can really start to, you can start to lose the battle of the mind. Absolutely. And this is the latter part of your training, right? This is, or is this the beginning? Uh, this is a couple weeks in. It's pretty quick because they want to uh, weed out the group and then spend it. their time with, yeah. you know, they want to train the people that are going to stick around. So Monday, Monday, which is day one, this guy, this guy quits. He, he takes the walk. We started on Sunday night. Yeah. Monday night he yeah. starts cruising. And I'm have like, you ever thought about ringing the bell? Actually, no. I, some people say like, Hey, everybody thinks about it. I, I was so scared of failing a swim or <laughs> like failing races yeah. or getting hurt. I never thought about it. And I think one of the reasons is because I did have the experience. I, I had more peer pressure on the inside than the outside mm -hmm. based on the fact that, I, you know, my bros had already made it through. I knew what was coming. It was really hard to play, play with me, you know? Yeah. Um, so, no, I was scared to death of not making the standard mm. that I never actually thought about quitting. And that's, that's what's funny. Like, you compare our two mindsets, you know, between this guy who's a complete stud and me who's just bumbling through it um, at the time. And it's like, what was going on in this guy's head? Well... He's a phenomenal athlete. He's has he struggled? Yeah, absolutely. But he's been able to outperform and outrun it. And I think that night he found something that he couldn't outrun, mm. and that was sitting in the freezing water and just being miserable. You know, I think about uh, people quitting, and it it shakes me because I, I I've been at I've been in instances in my military career where I've I've been broken and I've I've uh, tried to fight off uh, the demons and talk myself through things. But I've never been to the point of quitting anything. And I think about that person who took that long walk, which is probably a short walk, but took that long walk and actually rang that bell. And it's, it's really, I, what I've always respected about NAVSOF and the Navy SEAL community, it's kind of how you guys are brought up uh, from the get-go. Number one, being attrited with water. Because water is the number one um, most feared thing in the world. I mean, it's just like, it's, it instantly, institutes immediate fear and you either sink or you swim and to get past that uh it's it's actually a fear of mine i think about it it's only one of the reasons i, I never went to uh the navy because my, my my uncle was a retired navy my dad was army um but it was the water and you know the military the army uses the land but that water is just next level yeah. and then you start adding in the cold, you had the bell. There's something about the buds process that really truly seems to weed out. I don't know if it's, if I could say weak, but, but separating seals from other men. Uh, I'll say it that way just to be respectful because uh, I know some good dudes who have failed out of buds. Me too. Um, and it's not an indictment on their character. And yeah, it's not. They are not at and all. everything else. It's not, not for all. everybody. It's just not for everybody. You're right. Yeah. What, what is it? What is it? What is it that the Navy is getting right with the selection process? Yeah, here's here, so like combat sports. You know, they say all the time that conditioning makes cowards of us all. Mm -hmm. Now that's true. I've experienced that. That that is that is true. But I, I think you could take that same analogy to the water. The water mm -hmm. makes cowards of us all. Like if yeah. you've ever felt like you're gonna drown, which I have, like it's the scariest thing you'll ever feel. And and sometimes you're just powerless against this thing. That it's like standing against a tidal wave. It's it's so powerful that there's nothing you can do. It's going to take you.
Yeah. And the trick, I think, is just to go with it. Well, I, you're absolutely <laughs> right. I think about that where, where when people are in this, like combat dive, I've been to every military special operations school except for combat dive. And when guys are going through that course or they're going through BUDS, there's an acceptance, right, that yeah. you're just going to go to sleep and you're just going to pass out and hopefully somebody's going to drag you to the surface. But it's, there's a part of it that's understanding that there's a fear mechanism there and you're going to run into the wall, but accept that you're going to crash and you might burn, but that somebody else is obviously that you're entrusting that somebody else is going to pull you out of the water. Do you, right. do you, is there a, is there a, you know, a mechanism there or something that's there where it's like, Hey, I, I'm going to trust and hope, hopefully somebody's going to get me and I'm just going with the flow. And then somebody drags you out and then brings you back to life. I mean, it seems like that happens often where you have to be prepared to, to face that challenge. Yeah, I agree. Um, like, I kind of kind of speak into that. The thing that I, they'll find something that you suck at. No one's going to breeze through this. I, I was terrible at everything mm -hmm. in the water. Yeah. You know, I think it's because I don't really have the real estate in the leg area, like yeah, swimming, yeah. two-mile ocean swims every week. I, I, I struggled, man. Um, treading water was the worst evolution in buds for me. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Like, <laughs> this is embarrassing, but I'm going to say it, dude. Like, mm -hmm. Um, I was so bad at swimming that in second phase after hell week, everything else, you know, I, I fail to swim. I know I only have one left and a buddy of mine who was a genetic phenom. I want, I, I'd love to share his name right now. He probably wouldn't even mind, but I'm not going to, cause I didn't okay it. Um, but he tells me, he's like, he's one of the stronger athletes in the class. And he was like, Hey bro, I'm going to hook you up. You know, gets like this, this leash. And he's like, I'm, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to drag you through this. Thing. <laughs> I want to drag you on this open water swim. Yeah, it's like, what would you do moment? And I'm looking at this, I'm like, well, I could go away and lose everything or, you know, I can accept it and we can go. Yeah. Um, so I took it. <laughs> awesome, I man. took it, bro. Yeah. So he hooks me up and we're cruising. I'm fighting the water as hard as I can. Yeah. I'm just fighting and fighting. And he would pick his head up. He's guiding, right? Because he's yeah. a strong swimmer. He's looking at where we're going, looking back at me. And he's like, come on, bro, you got this. And like yelling at me. I'm like, Dang. Yeah. Just dying. I get back to the end of this two-mile open ocean swim, and I hear, Hayes, fail. And I, I failed it by seconds. I mean, it was so close. Oh. And even when I tried to cheat, because, you know, there's a saying, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. Yeah, I yeah. tried. Yeah. And, and still failed, man. So, wait, he passed because he was strong? We both failed. We both failed. He okay. failed because of me, but he had a fail. Ooh. They, you know, they, they knew what was going on, right? The, the instructors yeah, 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 know yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's, yeah. who's the weak link in that one. Man. Um, that was absolutely horrible. I had to go to a review board. I got rolled back in training. and oh, Did he just, get rolled back as well? No. No. He, next swim, he just went with another strong swimmer and was fine. Yeah, yeah. That's the way, you know, you help each other out. Yeah. So, like, what, what are the things that you can take from that experience? It's like, well, you know, one, I think from, it, it gave me a lot of strength knowing, like, hey, the guys want me around. The guys are willing to, like, embrace it with me and, yeah. and push through it with me. That meant yeah. a lot to me. Yeah. Um, it meant a lot to me. But... I tried to cheat, still wasn't enough, so I had, to, I had to go away for a couple months and just swim every day, and I learned how to swim. There's this phenomenal instructor, one of the BUDS instructors, but he was meeting with us and, like, really helping me out. Yeah. Like, the, the angry face came off, you know? Yeah. And he taught me that the trick is to get, like, long and smooth in the water, mm -hmm. graceful, you know, hydrodynamics, mm -hmm. and I learned how to swim. My, my first open ocean swim coming back, man, I breezed through that thing. Yeah. I was probably in the top like six swim pairs of the class, which for me, wow. I might as well get a gold medal, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I wasn't even tired. Wow. And, I, and I learned that if I just go with it and I breathe easy and I chill, 
I'm going to be okay. But if I'm fighting the water, it's going to get me. Wow. It's not like a run where you can fight it. It's yeah, not yeah, like yeah. the O course. You can't meet it with resistance. Nope. In fact, it has to be less resistance in order to be. Yeah. Um, well, what is, you know, I can see like, depending on what special operations unit you go to, there's like these ups and downs of uh, hitting gates and potentially failing or failing and then getting a, a, a retry. And it's, it's this vicious cycle. And, and it, what always annoyed me in training in, in the military is you would go to, you know, even Halo school, which is pretty, um, pretty much a gentleman's course. There's gates, right? Because if you don't do your practical exercise one, PE two, and you fail it, you got to retake it. And so you're always on this bubble of like being stressed. Yeah. And when you fail something, um, you know, you didn't fail becoming a SEAL, but you went through cycles of failure. How, was imp how important was it to your character and to where you're at now to actually fail? Yeah, dude, I think, I think failure is the best thing that can happen to you mm -hmm. if, if you keep going. It's like, yeah, yeah. you know, like if you look at my resume, it looks pretty cool. Mm -hmm. You know, there's all these major bullet points, but if you get to know me a little bit better, mm -hmm. then you see between every single one of these bullet points, there's just massive amounts of failure, falling mm -hmm. short, not going your way. Sure, sometimes it happens to you. Sometimes you're legitimately not good enough. Mm -hmm. um, and if you stop, if you, if you quit, if you walk away, you're allowing that moment to become the bullet point on your resume. Mm. And you may not put it on your actual resume, but man, you carry it with you. Yeah. I've seen guys carry around failure and it just completely Oof. degrades their spirit. Yeah. But if you push through it and you keep going, then you get to write the bullet point that you want. Yeah. Is it like a refocus of energy, like taking that negative energy and that's potentially compartmentalized and then re-attacking or re-navigating? Or what's your strategy for taking that energy and reapplying it? I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's different for, for different situations, right? Like in, in both those situations, be it the recruiter or not being able to pass a swim, you know, it required that I become an expert at something, that I, I identify first a personal gap, mm. and then that I, I do whatever it takes to fill that gap. Yeah. Sometimes it's skills, sometimes it's knowledge, you know, mm. both, both lessons um, in, in different forms. The hard part can be identifying the gap, and that's, you know... I, I had the luxury, my first platoon chief was a rock star. Mm -hmm. I had a really solid ch uh, chief. His name's uh, Jim, Jim Boa. I can say his name, actually, because I, I put it in the book. <laughs> so I, got, awesome. I got him to approve it. Great awesome. guy. Um, man, I, when I was, you know, the cockiest a person will ever be is when they just make it through their selection, when they just make it through their program, and they get something on the uniform, but they haven't done anything yet. Yeah, yeah. Right? No operations, no Nothing. experience. Oh, yeah. But they're wearing it, they're like... Chest is high. I am all that is man. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So like I went to Fort Benning, did jump school, you mm -hmm. know, it's like, yeah, this, we're great. We're awesome. And then I show up to my first platoon and now you're around guys who have been operating and, and mm -hmm. actually know what they're doing. And I think that I, I could have gone one or two different directions, man. I could have become a turd. I, I could have been that guy who's cocky and can't get out of his own way. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, and, you, and you see those guys, usually that comes from a position of insecurity. When yeah. someone's really cocky, it's because they're overcompensating for their insecurities. Yeah, great right? point. Yep. It's like, what's the difference between confidence and, and arrogant? Mm -hmm. You know, confidence is like knowing you're up to the task. Mm. You've prepared. You know what's coming, and you know you're up to the task. Arrogance is thinking you're above it. Mm. The second you're like, too good to take out the trash. You know, you're too good to do this. You know, pounding your chest and this and that, dude, you're on the, right, you're on the wrong side of right. Yep. You know, and it's, it's a constant balance that we have to figure out. And I had the luxury of a mentor. And my platoon chief, man, I'll never forget... 
I uh, got into a little argument with the gate guard about what the right equipment to wear on a motorcycle is on the way in. Because mm-hmm. um, like I said, I was a young, hothead idiot. So I show up to the platoon space and it's like, you know, two minutes late or something like negligible. But you know how it is. Like if you're not 15 minutes early, you're late. Oh, yeah. Especially yeah. as a new guy. Yep. Um, so this guy never raises his voice. He's a really stern kind of dude. Um, he lowers his voice, actually which just chills your soul. Yeah, that's scarier. It's scary. Yeah. So he's like, uh, he's like, Nick, hang out after this, if you would, you know. So we have our morning brief, you know. I was at a team called SDV Team Mm 1. So that's where we like fly. Is that Hawaii? Yeah. Oh, nice. And you fly miniature submarines and stuff, right? Yeah, that's a, for people who don't know it, and obviously Nick can attest to this, but he won't brag about it. I understand this, working and operating in this space, some of the most elite, uh, teams are SDV teams because the mission set one is super classified. There's a whole bunch of TTPs, tactics, techniques, and procedures that aren't often talked about. Um, but it's it's literally some of the hardest uh, and most dangerous work you can do in special operations. And my, my good buddy Trevor, who was just Trevor Thompson, who was just on Andy Stump's podcast, was a former SDV guy. Oh, cool. As well. Um, and then I got uh, some OGA contracting buddies that were uh, STV uh, guys as well. They actually live in uh, San Diego. But yeah, I just want to put that out there because uh, that's, that's a lot of respect. Because I, I know NAVSOF and I know STV teams, and that's a completely different ball of wax, man. It is different. I mean, yeah. it's super technical. You know, you have to perform in, in a myriad of areas at the same time. Um, I was a pilot. Like, piloting that thing was was legit you know yeah really long freezing dives crazy you guys are living on subs too right i mean you yeah. live on subs and then deploy from them i did just That's under insane. a couple months on a sub one time Oof. it was actually kind of fun because we brought a heavy bag we're training every day yeah. and hooking up the x-boxes in a dark dungeon the, oh dude it was horrible that's crazy i say it's fun but no that was that was terrible that's crazy <laughs> um, um anyway so yeah. like you know it's gonna be a long day there's like nine in the morning i'm late to this meeting we have to prep submarine stuff and dive equipment mixed gas create you know death traps mm-hmm. to uh to get ready to do a night dive that night really long day so i hang in after after the thing and after our meeting and jim tells me he goes he goes hey nick it's not that big of a deal all right no drama but obviously you made everybody late so give me a favor grab a rucksack it's backpack um fill it full of 50 pounds and run up the parallel tower one time for every guy in the platoon which is like a five-story building right <laughs> I think he's a messing whole with platoon. me. Like he's saying this really calm. Oh yeah, like no big deal. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. I, was, I think he's messing with me. Like maybe it's an integrity check. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But I'm like, cool. So, you know, didn't talk back or anything because I'm scared to death of the guy. So I walk downstairs, put 50 pounds in my rucksack. He follows me down. He's like, Nick, you can't do it right now, bro. You know, it's a punishment. You can't do it like in place of a workout. Yeah, yeah. He's like, you yeah. gotta do it after work. Let's go hit chest. So we, then he invites me to work out with them. So now we're working out, and I'm, I'm like stewing in anger, but he never brings it up again, never gives me a hard time. Yeah. Um, we go, we do our dive, man. We recover. It's like past midnight. You know, it's raining at this point, like insult to injury. Yeah. And then you got to decon your gear, which means like fresh water rinse and make sure everything's good to go. And it's a tremendous amount of work after you're done. Yeah. You know, uh, water works weird. It's different. Um, so I go, I'm, I'm pissed. I grab my rucksack, and I'm cruising over the Paraloft Tower, and I see my chief sitting over there by the door. So now I'm He's thinking, waiting on you. He doesn't trust me to do it. Ooh. What's he going to sit there with a stopwatch? And, and yeah. like, how bad is this going to be? Yeah. And I'm, I'm even about to say something. Yeah. You know, I'm getting You're like, mad. this is real. This is happening. Yeah, this is yeah. happening. 
And when I got closer to him, I realized that like he was wearing a rucksack on his back. What? Yeah, dude. I get to the front door. I just door. got chills. That's weird, man. That's, that's awesome. I get to the front door, and he's like, all right, man, let's hit it. I was like, what are you doing? He goes, come on, man. We're in it together. We're going to war. Like, you know, your Dude, failures are my failures. Your successes man. are mine. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. He hit every flight of stairs with me <sighs> for however long that took. A couple that's hours. That's awesome, man. And he never gave me a hard time. Really? We talked about God, family, the rest of it. He was just there with me. So, like, what was yeah. he doing in that moment? Was he, was he trying to say, hey, plus or minus a minute, you know, operational stuff? No. What he was doing, he grabbed me and said, you're mine, bro. Wow. I'm going to mentor you. Wow. From then on out, I made my kit look like his kit. He's got seven deployments. Like, I, yeah. why do I need to learn the hard way? I trust this guy. Wow. I emulated him. I mimicked him. He taught me about parenting. He mm -hmm. taught me so much in life. Um, he grabbed a hold of me and said, you are mine. What a powerful attribute, man. Attribute, man. It, gave, it gave me the course correction that I needed. Yeah. You know, I really understood the value of mentorship moving forward. And so when I got out of the SEAL teams later, I, uh, I'm kind of skipping ahead here, but I, I realized that that's what I needed when I was a new guy in the teams. I mm -hmm. needed mentorship. Later on in my career, I was like, I need to be a mentor. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, need, I need to give this back. But then when my context changed and I wound up on the outside to where all of a sudden now it's a new playing field. Yeah. None of the you know wisdom that I used to kind of operate with is gonna is gonna serve me moving forward. Well, a lot of it does, but there's a clear distinction of life on the outside. Oh yeah, yeah. And I said I need a mentor, mm. and I started pursuing that mentorship. I don't have time to learn the hard way. Yeah. Right. There's always an opportunity cost, or there's always a, a learning curve cost. Yeah. And I was like, how can I mitigate that cost by surrounding myself with wisdom so that I don't make these mistakes? How, what does the new kit look like, and how can I make mine look like that? That's an important tactic for people to understand. I mean, you know, we get we get hit up at Philcraft and even on my personal page of people that want advice um, and they're starving for information, mentorship, leadership. And, you know, how you just line that out, it's important for people to, to realize that, hey, if you want to advance yourself in your personal life, whether it's growing, facing op obstacles and challenges, you, you have to understand that, you know, you have to suppress your ego and be willing to be mentored by somebody and then, and then seek those people out. And so many, I'm, I'm super impressed by uh, a lot of the young guys that contact us or even myself who just take that leap of faith. And yeah. like, hey, Mike, I don't know you, I, you know, but I, but I want to be like you or I want to do something, something like you. Can you tell me anything? Right. And, and just, it's a super, I mean, obviously it's time consuming, but I see that, I can't turn that away. Because when people identify what they want to be or what they want to do, and then they realize that the only thing stopping them is action, and they stand up off their ass and they're like, I'm going to do whatever it takes. And you're seeking this out in the SEAL teams, you know, looking for this mentorship. There's something to that. And, and I, I yeah. feel like we've, we've lost that a lot in our lives. And I don't know why. I mean, do you, do you know, can you think of any reason why in our society that we're just not willing to do that anymore? Like it's, especially in the civilian space. Yeah, especially in the civilian space. I, I think, 
you know, we, you and I experienced this together to where the world that you joined the military from was not the world that you came Completely back to. Completely agreed, yeah. Yeah, now your social capital is directly proportional to how many people are following you on whatever. Absolutely, social, yeah. Like that, I didn't even have an account until yeah. I'd been out for like five years, you know? Yeah. Like it took me so long to come around to that. It's a completely different environment and the disparity between, nowadays I'm 37 years old and I'm old. Yeah. Because it's, it's gone so fast. I might as well be 60. Yeah. It, it, everything is, is evolving so quickly. So I think the, the younger generation looks at the older generation and they think, hey, I can do what takes you eight hours in 40 minutes. Mm -hmm. So they lose that credibility. They lose that respect. And the older people look at the younger generation and say, you don't have work ethic. Yeah. There, there's a there's a miscommunication here. Yeah, and there's what, a division. There's definitely. a division. Yeah, and I do this as a consultant all the time. I feel like a lot of my job is to convince the older people that unless you know how to employ millennials and see them as an asset because mm -hmm. they can do what you cannot. Yeah, they can clear into uncleared space mm -hmm. better than you. They're going to find new ways to do things. Yeah, and they can innovate. You know, you need to rely on them. And then I spend time with the younger kids. I'm like, these people understand things that you will never understand. Yeah, yeah. Now nowadays the young kids they they have like intelligence right mm -hmm. they have this access to information they know how to access information quickly if if the wi-fi runs out it's gone yeah you know but as long as they have wi-fi they can come up with solutions quickly whereas the older generations has knowledge mm. which is the hard drive what's stored on the hard drive mm -hmm. wi-fi goes out check talk to this guy because he knows yep. what's up he doesn't need it he can be in the woods mm -hmm. you know and he's going to do just fine um so both groups need to see the other as an asset mm -hmm. and re recognize that they are strong where or that the other is strong where they are, are weak yeah right to identify that gap and then look for mentorship on on how to fill it mm, and that's like really that. yeah it's what the world needs right now because the young kids are, are really talented but they're moving forward without a ground mm. they're like lightning rods without a ground oh that's a good analogy you, you, now you you know i operationally did almost a decade on the sil teams um let's talk about the transitional process from going you know you're a sil operating at the tip of the spear Counterterrorism, you're you're just doing it, and then all of a sudden you make a decision. You're like, I, I'm going to get out. Yeah. What what why would why did you make the decision to get out? Like, what was it? And then uh, what what allowed you to move forward in that decision? For me, it was easy. Um, I had never I had never been to Afghanistan, and mm -hmm. I, I wanted to go so bad. I was like, okay, what's my best, quickest, easiest pathway there? And a buddy of mine invited me to come do some contract work. And I knew that if I screened positive for this thing, I would be able to be where I wanted to be, mm -hmm. you know, more autonomy, less oversight, a lot more freedom. It was really appealing to me. So I screened for this program while I was still in. Mm -hmm. And then when they picked me up, then I, I separated. Oh, yeah. I know what you're talking. So this is the OGA gig, right? Yeah. So if you guys, um, you know, I've, I've advertised this before and... Um, uh, we use a term, there's a term called other government agencies, which is a term to basically cover the agencies that specialize, look, there's 17 different agencies, it might be 19 now actually, different agencies inside the intelligence community, the IC. And so when somebody says OGA, that's what we're talking about. And so there are elite operators from different lines and backgrounds that do different things for different uh, organizations. And now that's really vague, but I read between the lines. And so what I, in fact, I used to work for the same organization uh, that Nick did, and they had a program where you could actually get vetted prior to you leaving active service. So you went through that and you were guaranteed a position coming yeah. out. 
well, that's an easy decision for me. I've been like, okay, let's do it. Yeah, it was. Yeah, that's awesome. Man. But I didn't want to, you know, I, being able to, to kind of play, like grab onto the next rung yeah. was nice. Yep. Because, like, you know how, how that vetting process is. Like, shooting yeah. qual is legit. The most difficult shooting qual, because I've, for that organization, I've been to the firearms instructor development course where we shoot every qual in the government and we're trained to teach quals for the federal government for FLETC and everything else. It is the hardest shooting qual in the, in the world. I, I, it just eliminates, I don't care if you're an operator in the most elite special missions unit in the world, those guys are getting weeded out just as much as the best operator across the world. So it's, it's difficult. The attrition rate's insane. It's insane. Yeah. It's insane. We had, we lost half of our class and, um, and when you're, you know, you're competing for a six figure job, but more so, uh, still relevant to counterterrorism at the tip of the spear. And so it's like you have the best of both worlds because yeah. we were broke as hell in the military, obviously. Right. Um, so you segue. I segued. And, yeah. you know, one thing I want to know is, you know, I had to make a transition from the, the six hour, right? The two, two, six into a Glock. So when I was, when I was running the quals, I realized I was, I was low and left consistently. And I, I had to, mm. you know, I'm used to a double action trigger squeeze. It's heavier. I had to make yep. this transition. So I, one of my buddies who was already in the program, I cruised upstate uh, Pennsylvania where he was at and I spent a week with him mm -hmm. and just ran the qual, ran the qual, Love made it. that transition. Yeah, I, I even got on the 416. I was like, okay. You, you have to, if you don't train up for that, that vetting, you, you won't make it. You no. don't have a chance because you have to literally train up for specific ways to shoot that qual. It's, it's insane, man. I, oh, yeah. Especially, yeah, drawing from the concealed. Yeah, such yeah a it's insane. So it, like if you want to be a tactical instructor with validation, you come out of that camp, uh, you got me sold because if you're if you're an instructor, and I'll tell you, uh, a couple guys in our network, I won't actually say their names, but a couple guys in our tactical network uh, did that job as well, and and I already know because it's like when you're sitting next to a dude in a country where it's only you two, you don't have a QRF, it's just you two, um, and the quickest backup is days, maybe hours away. Um, you have to trust that guy, and I know that everybody I went through training in that program. I trusted because yeah. I knew they could run and gun better than 95% of the guys that I served with. I mean, it was just, it was a, a confidence builder for sure. So you segue into that and then you start, you know, that's a great schedule. You're doing the 60 on, 60 off uh, or something similar to that. What else are you doing uh, in your life? And was the transition period from active military to that life style yeah. in the Thousand Air Club, uh, was it difficult? Uh, one of the things that really helped me out, an advantage I had to, to some of my brothers is my wife stayed with me. Mm. Like I had the family together, you know, I started having kids. So you retained your marriage helped, through man. the entire time you served in the silk? I met her in buds, actually. That's amazing, man. That's yeah. actually, obviously, it's it's because it's rare, right? In, it's rare. Our, in our line of work. It's rare. But she's awesome. Um, so anyway, I had that, and then I decided that it would be a good idea if we bought a 35-foot RV towed a car behind us and I would punch out, you know, for the job and then come back and we just started traveling the country. So we put awesome, like man. almost 30,000 miles on that. And she would stay in the camper while you were gone for your deployments? We'd park close to family. Okay. So it was actually better for her too. <laughs> she loved it. I mean. That's awesome. What's interesting about that time, the third kid broke us. We had to stop. Yeah, yeah. Because we would like, she'd get pregnant. We'd rent an apartment like third trimester. Yeah. And then as soon as the kid was a couple months old, we'd pop back on the road. We were just like pure gypsies. That's awesome, man. Yeah, it was cool. And then the third kid, I'm like, oh my gosh, this kid yeah. is... It's time to anchor. Unleash the baby, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So 
we had anchor and, and got out of the uh, out of the RV, RV thing. The other thing that was kind of cool that I was doing at the time was I finished up my undergrad when I was at the training detachment, still in the teams. Yeah. So I went into business school at uh, the University of San Diego. Yeah. And man, they were working with me to as I was contracting and stuff. They were really good. I mean, even to a point that like I won't get into it, but had had a bad day once. And uh, I had a paper due the next day. Mm-hmm. So we get hit. It's like 6 in the morning. It was it was kind of a crazy thing, you know. And then I come back in. It's probably like 1 or 2 o'clock that we can actually, you know, get away for a minute. Yeah, yeah. And I, I send the professor <laughs> an email. And I'm like, hey, man, big day. Uh, I'm going to need an extension on this. No drama. This is downrange, too. Yeah. Right? Oh, this, okay. Yeah, yeah. wow. <laughs> so, That's awesome, man. So I cruise down to the, uh, you know, the area. And, and uh, one of my buddies is like, hey, you know, one of our guys, one of our local guys had been shot and was still alive and we had mm-hmm. to, you know, help him out for the rest of the night. Yeah. So went out, did this thing, ended up getting bumped and bumped. I get back at like six o'clock in the morning and I cruise in and I, I remember I had this moment where I was like, I got to write a paper. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. I, I opened up my email and the professor had said like, hey, I completely understand. Love what you're doing. I'll give you 24 hours or else you get a zero. Ooh. Some tough love right there. Wow. I look at my clock and I'm like, I better get cracking, dude. And I had this moment where I'm like, okay, well, like the, the enemy's going to try to take from me, right? They've been trying to take t- from us for 24 hours at this point um, plus. And, you know, we fought back. So am I going to allow that to take this from me? Yeah. Am I going to let their actions take my grade away? Yeah. No. Yeah. And I said, right now, I'm going to write a paper because fuck them, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it's that, it's that mentality. You're writing it for America. For America. <laughs> <laughs> like, That's so awesome, man. I know. So I sent it off. I think I got a decent grade. But, man, it was one of those moments where, like, business school downrange can be a challenge. But, yeah. But it was decent. I, that whole story, like, ends with I ended up, uh, you know, smashing a disc. So mm-hmm. it's a terrible pain. I was, I was rolling around with some buddies and stuff. And it just I, I needed help to get back to the room. They're bringing me my meals. I was just done. And uh, I'd never experienced anything like that, you know. Um, So I ended up having to get a spinal fusion surgery, and I kind of realized that, like, things were changing now. You know, Mm -hmm. I spent my entire life preparing to do something that I wasn't going to be able to do anymore, um, and it was taken away from me. And just like growing up to where, you know, my home got taken away from me, I had to start over. I didn't know that that was competitive advantage. I didn't know that that was going to form me into somebody that was going to be very capable. Mm-hmm. I look at this the same way. I am so glad that that life got taken away from me Yeah. because I didn't know the difference in the relationship I would have with my kids mm-hmm. at the time if I was home versus away. Yeah. I didn't know that I could get involved in these other really cool things and, mm-hmm. and what else was out there. I, di- I didn't know how capable I would be, you know, because contracting is kind of a crutch at some point. It is, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I'm really thankful of that, but it's one of the hardest things I've ever been through where, where no one died because I mean, I, I lost my physicality. I gained weight. I mm-hmm. couldn't like be athletic, which means you're not releasing dopamine the same. So it changes your brain. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, I, re- I took the, the hardcore medication for like three weeks after the surgery because mm-hmm. they more or less like cut you in half. You, yeah. I'm glad we live in an age that that medication exists, but I said, I'm not going to be mastered by this stuff. Yeah. I got off like three three weeks and some days after the surgery. So I lived in pain, Yeah. but I started drinking, you know, to mm. mask that pain. So now I'm kind of developing this, you know, alcoholistic yeah, tendency yeah. and using that as a crutch, man, it was, it was a tough go for a little while. And even though I had business school, you start looking at these jobs and it's like, man, I don't know if I can make this happen. 
You know, I mean, I, I was like, I know I can get jobs. I just don't know if I can keep it. I don't know if I'm going to make somebody mad, if I'm going to be an HR nightmare, if, yeah. you know, how this is going to work. Um, and that's when, in that moment, man, I was I was recovering from the surgery, not kn- not knowing what I was going to do. And my buddy, Remy Adeleke, who you know, mm-hmm. called me and was like, hey, man, join us on this thing. He had started this company with some other guys, and they were doing public speaking, consulting, kind of, you know, it was a cool kind of gig. Um, so I got in with them and I started working within, I don't know, a couple months after the surgery, I'm working with the Miami Heat basketball team. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So it just, it happened quickly. Um, and I kept on that route, you know, worked with a few sports teams and stuff. I was fortunate enough to be with uh, the Atlanta Falcons on that Super Bowl run. Yeah. 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 Which was pretty cool. Well, um, so you're consulting for professional the professional uh, athletic space. That's what you started doing. Yeah. Is that your own business or is that part of the business that, with Rumi? That was part of that that old business. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we were we were doing like uh, putting them through kind of Navy SEAL style workouts and stuff. Yeah. And then uh, and then I would do a lot of the public speaking, and and I realized that I really had a knack for that because I yeah. kind of I had done that a little bit growing up, been in front of people with the band and yeah, yeah. and stuff like that. So and then you, you know when you go through an instructor duty and you know yeah you're used to being at the forefront of of everything. When you have a couple of platoons and you're teaching guys with seven platoons, you're like, I better know what I'm talking Absolutely. about. Absolutely. So it breeds some good, yeah. Yeah. Um, so then I ended up um, getting an invite from another buddy. Same same story. To go to Harvard Business School, mm-hmm. um, it's called the Program of, uh, for Leadership Development. Yeah, a phenomenal program. Um, is that the thirteen-month one or 11, 12 months? Nine. One? It's a nine months. Okay. Yeah, nine months. Is that the one where you in, like inject your business plan and then they kind of help you develop it through mm-hmm. the process? Yeah, I've heard. I've heard about that. I'm actually interested in that. I'm, I'm uh, applying to John Hopkins for a, a similar thing, but I, you know, I've heard a lot of good things that come out of that program in the the realm of understanding business and kind of like your plan, especially if you drop the seed and let it grow in that kind of faculty. There's, um, a, there's a free consulting aspect to it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. right? And then the curriculum is incredible as well. And yeah. what I liked about it was this. You know, I'd been to business school. I know what that's like. Yeah. You're with a bunch of people that are taking their first step. They're just about to get mm-hmm. going. Young people, yeah. you know? Whereas when you get into the executive education stuff, um, the EMBA type stuff, yeah. That's when you find yourself surrounded by, you know, chief operating officers, people yep. at a very high level in a myriad of sectors. Yeah. And they become your friends. They become like your inner circle. That's your, your network, right? Your network. And yeah. you're, but you're trying ideas out on them, you know, mm. and, and iron sharpens iron, man. You yeah. know, it's just yeah. a phenomenal thing. I, I would take that over the, the lower level stuff any day of the week. Wow. But if you're interested in that, I'll, I'll I actually send am. you that I way. really am. Please. Like a brand ambassador. Now, Dude, so. that'd be awesome. So well, now, now you're talking about forging still. You come out of this and you got your your knife. What, what are, what's the next step for you coming out of this? What what's the evolution of that process look like? Yeah, for me, I think the hardest decision that I've I've made is what do I do with all this knowledge? What do I do mm. with all this experience? And you know how it is, like especially coming from the teams, but I think the military in general, there's like two categories of people. You either wrote a book or you didn't write a book. Yeah. You know, like that's one hundred percent. Yeah. Yep. You're an author or co-author, or you're nobody to be found. Like it's like writing the book is the staple of yeah. the the means, but but then from the inside of the community, yeah. A lot of times, like in, in the general military, they're like, "Hey, how do you want to know if someone was a Navy SEAL? Ask them when their book comes because out." Because they wrote a book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so true. It started with Web, right? We were just talking about a little bit before, yeah. but um, 
That's not necessarily a bad thing, though, right? No, it depends how you, how you handle it. Uh, well, it depends where your perspective is. There's yeah. a lot of guys on the inside that they, there's two camps, man. And if you go that direction, like, you're, you're not Absolutely, one of us anymore. Man. 100% there is. And, uh, you know, I started looking at this. I'm like, well, there's got to be more to it, man. Our, our country's divided. People are dying out here. Mm -hmm. For us to be silent is a disservice to the country that we you swore to protect. I mean, yeah. it doesn't make sense. And the fact that I spent that time in the service shouldn't negate my freedom of speech and expression. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a problem with this. So for me, I kind of reframed it from like, it's not, it's not about being a silent professional. It's about being a quiet professional, man. Mm. Be soft. Be a steward of your words. Yep. Don't advertise the nature of your work. Don't yep. give explicit, you know, don't give away TTPs, right? Yep, 100%. But at the same time, you don't have to pound your chest. You can lift people up. Yep. You can share wisdom, yep. you know, and that's what I decided to do. So I ended up writing a book. Um, I'm really excited about it. I'm, yeah. I'm proud of it, to be honest with you. Um, the way it's kind of structured is it's not really a, a autobiography or any of that. There's a principle, and then I, I really go deep into this pr principle. So there's a lot of performance psychology, a lot of discipline stuff. Like I, I have a chapter on like the aggregation of marginal gains, you know. Oh, wow. That's yeah, awesome. it's really cool and yeah. practical application. Um, and my goal was for people who wish they would have joined the military, for people who you know feel bad about that, but at the same time they don't have the structure and the discipline in their life that we had the luxury of getting. Because mm -hmm. I know myself before boot camp and after boot camp. Mm -hmm. you know, you know, structure and discipline, we need that in our lives. You yeah. know, we, we need to know the value of it, and then we need a plan on how to actually integrate that. So this is like a, a guideline or a, uh, a method of practice to be able to guide people along that journey, right? That yeah. path, instructional yeah. guide for it. High performance lessons and habits, you know, that's awesome. kind of a way of saying it. Awesome, when's that book come out? Uh, May 28th. That's amazing, man. And you, you self wrote, and did you publish that book through a, what publisher did you? Wiley, which, <laughs> yeah, Wiley Publishing, they do the For Dummies series. Like oh, nice, yeah, Mathematics yeah. Mathematics for Dummies. Yeah, the that. little book uh, logo, they got like a little book logo on the Wiley thing, I think. Uh, I think so, it. yeah, yeah. 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 I thought the for dummies thing was just a perfect fit for me. Oh, that's I'll awesome, fit, I'll man. I'll fit right in here. That's cool. So so you have this book and you're writing this book. What else are you doing uh, outside of consulting? Are you Do you have a plan to start your own business or what, what are you Yeah, I have my own consulting company. Oh, it's doing, all consulting now. Yeah, well, I do a lot of keynote speaking too. Yeah, yeah. So for me, I, I love the keynote speaking stuff because for me, it kind of supplements what I used to get from jumping out of airplanes, being in front of people and communicating. Yep. I love it. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's exciting. I, I use a lot of comedy, which is fun too. I get to try yeah. out like bits. Um, <laughs> and then, the thing about motivational speaking though is this, is like no matter how much you can motivate somebody in a moment, it's like a vapor in the wind. The yeah. second that person gets in their car, gets cut off on the it's way gone. home, they're cussing, they're screaming, yeah. like it's gone. Yep. So that's why the consulting piece is cool. If, if I can turn that into a half day, check. If I can turn that into a little bit more or maybe a season long engagement, something like that, then you're gonna have a lot more effect, and really yeah. that's what it's about. You need the longer term strategy, right? It's not just yeah. clickbait. And I, right. I, I did uh, some consulting for Oracle, and I did speaking engagements nice. before the CEO a few times, and talking to their new sales staff about you know, managerial processes and just ways to develop people's minds, or maybe unconventional thinking and thinking outside the box, more creative ways. But what I noticed is a lot of corporations are, that are set in their ways um, it's hard for them to get outside of that subset. It's, it's hard for them to evolve into new ways of thinking. And that's the perfect place for a consultant, right? You guys, yeah. I mean, the whole point of a consultant is come in and to create 
uh, a new way of thinking by stepping outside of the box and then looking at it from their optic, from their perception. Yeah. And that's what you guys do. Well, the danger of, of building your identity around this is the way we've always done it. Mm -hmm. Like you and I both know we can, if we were to team up right now, even in the contracting gig and cruise out, we're fine. But if we leave at the same time tomorrow, yeah. same gate, same time, yep. I don't know, man, third day you're getting hit, you're done. Yep. You know, and that's how business is today is, mm -hmm. I mean, you look at like the S&P 500, 50 years ago, the average lifespan of a company was about 50 years. Wow. Today is closer to 12. Companies are dying so fast because their identity is built around having done things a certain way. Mm -hmm. One thing we have from a special operations background is that our identity is in finding new ways to do things. Mm. So you don't question my identity when we start looking for a new way to, to fix this problem. Instead, that's very in tune with who we are. Yeah. And that's something that you can inject into corporations, you know. The idea is that, like, this a guy named Michael Tushman came up with it. Um, it's, it's ambidextrous leadership. So on one hand, you have the core to what you do. This is what we do. We do it well, mm -hmm. right? But in your other hand, this is exploring into new space, trying new things. Mm. It's happening differently in both hands, but it's attached to the same body, right? Yeah. You're not cannibalizing these assets, but you're still exploring into new space while mm. doing what you do well. And companies that are doing that are thriving. Companies hmm. that are not are dying. And one thing is you really need to take stock in the fact that there's not a single organism on this planet that is staying the same. There's no right. such thing as a status quo. Yeah. Every tree, every, every human being, every animal, everything, even our planet and our sun, you know, everything is either growing or dying. Mm. You're either improving or in decline. Hmm. And taking a real inventory of your life and saying, which one am I? Am I slowly dying? Or am I growing? Am I challenging myself? Am I trying new things? Mm. Like, I feel like my life is just getting started. I can't wait to see what stupid stuff I can get into down the road, right? Because yeah. I'm growing into new space. I, I, man, you're motivating the crap out of me, man. <laughs> well, one, you're validating, George, we're, we're doing the right thing, right? We got that two-hand process. We have a piece of the pie that we're, we're focusing on intently and getting rid of the residuals. And then we have that other one where we're reaching and trying to, to gain traction on creative new concepts and ideas. But the way you articulate it is uh, super motivating, man. Uh, you know, man, I can't, well, one, uh, we, we, we eventually have to cut the podcast, but I'm, I'm excited because uh, I look forward to talking to you again to flush out ideas because you have so many and you're super motivational without being an asshole about it. I mean, so many people, I don't know whether it's aggression or they're just offensive tactic, are, are just too much. And I think, yeah. I think what's crazy is when you're not too much is because you understand behavioral dynamics and you understand ways of communicating to people require different tactics at times. True. And coming from a military background, a lot of us um, want to stand on stage and be like, you know, crush everything. But that's not how the world works. No, no. offense to the guy who said that. Um, because I respect that guy, but, yeah, so but there's a, there's a distinct difference in, uh, in tactics when you want to reach a broader audience. And I feel like you, you've got all the right, um, experiences to lead to successful outcomes, which you're already doing. I mean, you're, you're already successful in what you do. And then the future is obviously bright. What, what do you have going on in the, uh, in the future? And then what are some ways that people can kind of tune in to what you got going on? 
Yeah, I mean, the book coming out is going to be huge. Doing a lot of podcasts. Um, What's the name of the book for people again? It's called, yeah, good, good call. Yeah. I'm not good at self-promotion, <laughs> man. I could promote you all day. I'll promote the link. Maybe talk about myself. I'm like, I don't know. Um, yeah, it's called Elite High Performance Lessons and Habits from a Former Navy SEAL. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. And that's available May 2-8. Yeah, uh, pre-order today, but yeah. Oh, you can pre- it's available for pre-order yeah. now. We will have that link on, on at Phil Kraft Survival. Um, all of our personals for, through the brand, and then as well as the uh, website, we'll put it on the, on the uh, wow, thing. So you can just click a hyperlink because I know you, you fuckers are lazy. So we'll do that. Um, but also in the in the future, what else you got going on? Yeah, growing into the company, doing a lot of speaking gigs. Um, have a cool project that's kind of just getting started. Let's do it. Talk about it and say it. What are we doing? Just a little highlights. Come on, we got to get something. Uh, you know, you know, like. I really value transparency and coming from a position of weakness as well as strength. And I think that is, is better for other people. And I think it's better for you because yeah. you're not creating a brand that you have to adhere to for the next ever. Yeah. You can just be real, man. And people really respond to that. So we're working on a way of showing that kind of authenticity um, in our lives today in a way that is gritty and raw. Mm. So. I like that. That's about all I can say about it right now. But it's really vague, but I like that where it's yeah. going. That sounds really cool. Um, what about your social media stuff? Do you have a website? Do you have a uh, an Instagram and stuff like that? Yeah, website. My company is Elite Team Performance. The uh, website is EliteTeams.com. And on social media, I'm Nick Hayes Life. Awesome. So. Awesome, man. Well, thanks, Nick, for coming out here on the podcast. I'm sweating my balls off because uh, I got like 50 lights around me. It's the prettiest I'll ever look. Um, that's why um, we wore black shirts, man. That's it, man. I, I appreciate, number one, I want to say thank you to uh, Chad Robichaud and his crew at Mighty Oaks. Thank you, Michael. Uh, they do the Mighty Oaks show here. Uh, if you guys don't know about Mighty Oaks, make sure you go check them out. We'll put a link for them as well. They do a lot of nonprofit work from, from uh, anybody who's suffering from PTSD, and it's an important mission. And uh, if you guys are interested in supporting a nonprofit, which uh, most of the people that listen to this podcast do, Make sure you check out that link and check out what Mighty X is doing. Also, reference your archive. We had a great podcast in our studio at Philcraft HQ in Prescott uh, with Chad Robichaud. Chad Robichaud was a, a uh, Marine Force Recon dude, worked with the SEAL teams uh, doing low-vis work, uh, did some really dangerous stuff in his career, uh, professional fighter, like MMA badass, and uh, now he's giving back uh, as we all should. So uh, uh, happy to uh, represent Chad and Mighty Oaks, guys. Nick, thanks, thanks for being on the podcast, man. It was an amazing conversation, and I, I know a lot of people are going to take a lot away from this. I look forward to uh, linking up with you um, in the near future um, when you move to Prescott, Arizona. I know, I heard, right? I heard you're moving to Prescott. You're a good salesman. I might. That's it, man. Let's do it. <laughs> thanks, Nick. Thanks, brother. Thanks, man. Awesome. I appreciate it, man. Thank you.